I don't know how many of you um, happen to have HGTV, but if you do, you have access to about a billion television shows um, that are all about how to spend a ton of money or how to save a ton of money on a house. Like, they're all there. They are, I mean, every kind of show that talks about, you know, I want a beach property, I want to buy a house, you know, Fixer Upper, and all the different shows that exist, all about houses being built, how to save money, how to spend your money, all of the questions when it comes to the housing and purchasing of, of, of houses. Now, I will tell you that in all of my time watching some of these shows, and, and I catch some every once in a while, you know, um, I watch people get excited about the location. I watch people get excited about whether it's contemporary, modern, ranch, two-story, uh, the pool, the backyard, the lighting, the kitchen, the dining room. Uh, does it have an in-law suite? Does it have shiplap? Does it have subway tile? Does it have a farmhouse sink? Does it have a concrete countertop? I mean, like, these are all the things people get so excited over. Um, I have never... Not once seen a couple run up to the house and go, would you look at that foundation? I mean, look at it. Honey, our children will be safe when they sleep at night because the foundation of this house is solid. <laughs> Baby, I don't care if there's shiplap or subway tile. Look at that foundation. It's so strong. I mean, like, look, I'm pushing on it. Nothing's happening. There's no cracks in the foundation. It looks great. Have you ever seen an episode like that? Anyone? No? Okay, I'm just making sure I, I'm, I'm not alone in this, but I have never seen anyone make a big deal about the foundation. You know why? Because no one sees it. It's underground. Like, you don't see where that foundation is, what you see is what colors are on the outside of the house. What you see is with drywall, and is there any patching, or is there any, what, what needs to be done. No one sees the foundation, so it's not necessarily a big deal. But to be quite honest, it's the biggest deal. Now, you build a house on a bad foundation, you are setting yourself up. For problem after problem after problem after problem. Now, I don't know if the shows would be this way, but I read a story, an article, about a husband and wife who were kind of fighting over the house that they wanted to keep when they found out, because they had a thorough inspection, about the foundation being off. But they loved the location. They loved the house. They loved the school that, that kids would go to. But the foundation was off. And they argued over it, and they argued over it, and event, you know, the pros and cons list came out, and it was like, we cannot buy this house because we can't get in it for all this money and then not know because of the damage that could have happened. Uh, my wife and I just had an opportunity to add on to our house uh, just because, you know, four kids sleeping in one bedroom just doesn't work when they start hitting 11, 9, 7, and 5, right? Okay, uh, so we did this, this whole add-on thing, and uh, I was amazed at the foundation process. Just because having been a pastor, having been in ministry, you hear Jesus' words about foundation, and that process was just kind of cool to watch. 
And so I went out while they were digging and getting ready to put the footers in and all that stuff. And I was asking, how deep do you have to go? And, and really, the builder was like, well, it, it depends. It depends on the type of soil that you're digging in. Like, it depends on how soft things are. And if the, if the soil is soft, you got to dig deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper until you get to something. And so there were parts of our yard where they were able to get to a point where it was, it was solid enough to pour the footer. But there were other points where, like, I'm watching his, uh, like, the, the contractor's sons were the ones who were way down in the ditch, like, over their head, like having to keep digging by shovel and by doing all this stuff to get down to something. And eventually they got to a place where they were able to start pouring things. But what if I had gone out there and gone, guys, look, don't worry about the foundation. Like, I'm ready to just see some drywall going up. Like, I'm ready to see where the HDMI cables get plugged in. I'm ready to mount the TV on the wall. Forget the foundation, guys. Get to the stuff that I can see and I enjoy. Now, thankfully, he was a good contractor. He said, Jason, please go back inside your house and leave us alone. You build with the Legos. Leave it to the professionals. We'll take care of all this. But honestly, he probably would have said things to me if, if this conversation was happening. He would probably tell me, think, think of your, your family. Like, what if this collapsed on them while they were in it? Think of the damage that would be done to the house you are attaching this addition to. Think of how when it decides to fall and split and tear away, all that will be damaged. Think of the money that you are investing in this project now, but later will have to pour more money into because you're not building a strong foundation. Think of, think of, think of, and it, it would have just been one thing after another, and you would go, oh, you're right. We should probably pay great detail to the foundation process. This morning, what you build the house of your life upon matters. Jesus says, your foundation matters more than anything else in this world. And, I, and, I, and if I can, I want to ch chase a rabbit very quickly. Every single one of us is building. I just want to make that clear. Every single one of us is busy throwing walls up, getting the studs, the two-by-fours. Everybody is doing this right now with our lives. The questioning of your foundation should be done regularly. And I know... Some of you, just like these people who wanted to buy that house in the, in the area that they loved, you are afraid to examine your foundation because you know there's cracks in it. You get upset when you hear Jesus' words to consider what you're building on because, wait a minute, I've spent 70 years building this house. I will not look at the foundation. I will not get underneath. I will not hire someone to come in and ask questions about the sturdiness of my foundation. And it kind of, it angers us, right? But I'm of the camp that believes that if your foundation is solid, you can ask tough questions. If your foundation is real and it's legit and it exists, and you can build upon it, you can be asked the question, how do you know that it's true? You can be asked the question, 
What if you're wrong about what you're building on? I believe Christ followers, we're the ones should have answers for these things about our own lives. Like, why is it okay to build on Jesus? What is it about him? The historical texts, the, the him as a person in history, the scriptures. Can I trust those things? These are all questions that have to do with why we build on Jesus. And I'll tell you why most people don't want to talk about foundations. It's because they've never thought about it. They've been so busy seeing how the world operates and seeing how so many people just go, well, I better throw up some paint. I better throw up some brick. I better put some windows in. I better do I better do I better do You need to just start doing it all with your life. And then you're like, oh, wait. I don't think I put a foundation in the ground. If we're talking about what's most important, I hope that all of you are willing to look at the foundation. Because Jesus said it is what is most important to weathering the storms of this life. It does not matter how many boards you put up in your windows. What matters is, is it built on something solid? And so this morning as we look in Luke's gospel... Luke is a man who was writing to a group of people that may or may not have been Jewish or had Jewish roots. And so as he was writing to this, his friend Theophilus, who, who was apparently somebody who had heard of Jesus, maybe even was trusting Jesus, and Luke was doing all the research to go, this Jesus that you heard about, keep building your life on him. This Jesus that you have put your trust in, keep it there. Here's why you can do that, because I've done all the research. I've, I've sat with Mary, and I've recorded. I mean, if you read through Luke's gospel, he knows things about stuff that only Mary would know about. So there's many who assume he was friends with Mary, and he got to sit and talk with Mary about the birth of Jesus, about Jesus as a 12-year-old. Like, if it wasn't for Luke's intensive questioning and asking, there are a lot of things we wouldn't know. So I'm very thankful for Luke's gospel, but Luke is writing to a lot of people who don't have any knowledge about the Jewish traditions and customs. And so we have an abbreviated version of a Sermon on the Mount. Now, there are people who debate, was it a different sermon entirely or was it an abbreviated version? It doesn't really matter because the content remains the same. It's not, Jesus, it's not Luke cutting things out that he disagreed with about Matthew. It's actually him saying these things because Jesus probably said this stuff more than one time. Like, I know we're like, but he only gave the Sermon on the Mount once. Well, it's because it's recorded for us once. But Jesus probably kept his message very simple. And he found himself saying the same thing, proclaiming the kingdom over and over and over so in Luke's gospel, we have a little shorter version of the Sermon on the Mount. And so at the end of this description that Jesus is giving of a person who's following Christ, looks like he says this in Luke 6:46. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. As hard as these words are to hear right now, 
And for some of you, you may be getting frustrated by it. Because you're hearing what Jesus is saying. You're hearing Jesus not just as a good teacher saying, if you don't build on me, your life will come down in ruins. That's what he's saying, and you're frustrated by it. But I hope that over time, or whether it's over time or immediately today, I don't know where you're at, I hope that you will find these words as the kindest words you can hear. Because Jesus is actually telling you how you're going to make it. Jesus has just dropped the greatest news for us to hear how we can know we're going to weather the life, the storms of this life, how we're going to weather the trials we encounter, how, we, how we're going to be able to stand when all the reasons around us say don't, how we're going to be able to be carried safely into eternity when God peels back everything else and he sees that our foundation is in Christ. How are we going to know? He's saying, you build on me and you're going to make it. You may not have a smile on your face. You can't fake happy. But there can be joy. Because I've heard, if Jesus is the creator of the universe, if he is God, if he is the one who holds all things together, then to hear those words is the best news that you can hear today. I don't care if Cleveland comes back and beats Boston somehow today. Still not the best news you're going to hear. The best news you can hear is Jesus say, you build on me, you're going to be all right. So what did Jesus just say? (laughs) What did Jesus just communicate to those people? As abbreviated as I can, he talked about being empty. He said, you've got to be a people who know that before the Lord, you got to come empty. If you come full of yourself, you're going to miss the kingdom. He says a posture of humility before God is how we will make it. Then he ends up, he talks about mourning over our sin because there are people in this world who choose to laugh about their sin. Jesus says, look, if you mourn over your sin now, you'll laugh later. If you laugh about sin now, you will mourn later. To mourn over sin is to not walk around going, oh, I'm terrible, oh, I'm terrible. No, it's to go, I know that in me, I've hurt a lot of people, I've done a lot of wrong, I've actually given God the finger and walked away. But yet in his kindness, he kept pursuing. To mourn over sin is not just to mourn over my sin, but it's to mourn over the sin of the world and go, God, you have got to do something. You have to see these people. You have to rescue these people. You have to be about about chasing their hearts. I know so badly how much I needed you, but I want to see you come, come show up in the lives of these people who are so desperately running after things and they don't even know they need you yet. To mourn over sin now, Jesus says, is to laugh and rejoice later. He talks about being mocked for following Jesus. He says that there will be a point in your life where you will come to a place where where the approval of Jesus going, Jesus, you gave your life for me. Your approval matters more to me than anything on social media, anything about the people around me that I work with, anything about, you just name it. It's to say, I'm willing to be persecuted and mocked because of what Christ has done. There will come a point in your life And Jesus says, 
Yours is the kingdom. He continues talking about loving your enemies. And he gives a very, very interesting description. He says, to love your enemies is to love those who don't love you back. And you know what we love to do naturally? Is we love those who love us. Jesus says there is nothing special about that. Jesus says that if you love only those who love you, what good does that do? What message does that proclaim? It does not proclaim the gospel. It does not proclaim anything. It proclaims what the world already knows. We use people for what we can get from them. That's what the world's message proclaims. Jesus says, no, you are to love and to do good to those who would harm you. Can you see why people would say, Lord, Lord, and not do what he says? I can. The more I read this, I go, this is impossible. Thankfully, the Christian walk is not one of do, do, do. The Christian walk is one of trust, that Jesus will do this through us. And then he brings us to the point of don't be busy about being the judge. See, now, when I played basketball, I would say nine out of ten of the guys on my team had the tattoo, only God can judge me. Now, I used to joke with him and be like, you know he will, right? Like, I know how you, I know what you're up to. You know he will. You have the tattoo on your arm. Like, don't make light of that, you know? So, but, but, but we as Christ followers, we love the idea of not judging. But listen to how Jesus talks about it. He, he actually says, look, you can't go grab a speck out of somebody's eye when you got this log in your eye, okay? But he continues, Luke 6, 41, and why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, all right? So we'd love to stay there, but Jesus doesn't stop, all right? He keeps going. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. This is about humility. This is about positioning myself in a way that goes, I love you so much because I know what sin does in my life. It destroys me. It brings chaos. It just, it ends things in my own life. Man, I so badly want to help you know what it would look like to hand that over to Christ. See, Jesus isn't just saying, ah, whatever. Let him do it. I'll judge him in the end. He's saying this You, as the Christ follower, take this posture of humility, and you're not the judge, and you know that, but you also go, I know the one who can can help with this. I know the one who loves you more than that thing that you're throwing your life to. I know the one because I've seen it in my own life. This is not about not judging. It's about humility and saying, God, if if you want to use me in that person's life, I want to hate my sin more than I hate anybody else's sin. I hate my sin because I know what it did and I know, I know what it cost you. And then he lays down the look at your own heart because a tree is known for its fruit. Out of the heart, everything will be spoken. And it is at this conclusion and this statement, he says, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I I can tell you why we just like to say, Lord, Lord. 
because we don't like humility. We love pride. We can tell you why we like to say, Lord, Lord, because we want to laugh at sin. We don't want to mourn over it. I can tell you why we, don't want to say, why we want to just say, Lord, Lord, and not do what he says, because we want to love those who love us. I can tell you why we say, Lord, Lord, and not do what he says, because we want to be judgy. Because when we're judgy, we don't have to think about us. We just think about others. And it's so great because you can always find something wrong with everyone else. Like, that's the best. We love that. Because we get to stay judgy. And honestly, the reason we say, Lord, Lord, and we don't do what he says, is because we love the outer appearance. As long as people think we're in a good place, it's excellent. I I was at, at the gym one time. And I remember seeing this dude who was gigantic, massive. And the guy sitting on the bench next to him said, dude, how much can you bench? And the dude looked over at him and he was like, it's not really about how much I can bench. It's about how much you think I can bench. (laughs) I said, if that's not one of the truest statements I have ever heard. I mean, he obviously was skipping leg day because the dude's legs were like, like pinky, but still. We love the outer appearance. As long as things appear good, we don't have to deal with anything. But Jesus says, you better watch your heart. This is why we say, Lord, Lord, and we don't do what he says. This is concerning the most to me, I believe. is because Jesus' words are not being restricted to those out there who have never called him Lord. Because when you've never called him Lord, you don't care about what he says. This is being addressed to those who would have seen Jesus at work, who would have seen Jesus do stuff, who would have seen and experienced a miracle that Jesus accomplished, that they would have been so excited. They were like, Lord, 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 Lord. It's not, Jesus is not stuttering. He's not saying it twice. He's going, this is like, this is, I want to I be around and announce that Jesus is here because he does things different. But when the rubber hits the road, people were like, eh, it was kind of cool. He did some miracles. I tweeted about it. I took a picture in front of him. I hashtagged it. Now everybody thinks I'm really spiritual. But I'm not doing what he says. Because my neighbor is a real jerk. He took one of my sheep. I hate him. See how easy it is to get caught up in a religious frenzy and what's popular and what's cool. And here's the deal, folks. I know a lot of people in Asheville who think Jesus is really cool. He's, he's just, he's, he embodies love. He wears sandals. And I'm pretty sure he just hands out Skittles to anyone who asks. He's really smart. There are a lot of people who are okay with Jesus. But it's when you go back to the things that he said of himself that when that gets mentioned, well, it's not that big of a deal. Lord, Lord. And see, in the church, we are even more tempted to just say, Lord, Lord. We are more tempted to post that we're praying 
we are more tempted to post a good article. We are more tempted to say, this is wrong. We are more tempted to post and post and post and post. But folks, there's no obedience, right? Because it's Lord, Lord. Lord, if you look at my social media account, you will see that I amened and retweeted everything that said I would deny you in front of my digital friends. I did none of that. Lord, Lord, did you obey my commands? You can see why this is difficult. You can see why this might have stirred the pot and caused people to go, Jesus is stepping on toes. Maybe he's more than just a good teacher. Maybe he's Lord. Jesus is so awesome is a phrase that can be said by anyone. And if I can get really honest with you here, I can make that statement and still be lost. I can make that statement and still not be his. I can make that statement and still not allow Jesus to be over all of my life. This statement is so concerning because Jesus is addressing the lip service that we have become so content with as his followers. My prayer is, is that you will be able to look at the foundation, be honest about the condition or the existence or non-existence of the foundation and say, Jesus, if this is true, then I have to build my life on you. The outer appearance, the deeds, the amens, the reposts, yet still no obedience. Jesus is saying, things will crumble. And I know for those of you that might be in the camp that Jesus is just a good guy, just a good teacher, to be quite honest, if he is just a good teacher and he says this, this is offensive. This is ridiculous. If he's a teacher and just a philosopher to actually say, if you don't take my words and build your life on them, obeying my words, then your life will come to ruins. Can you imagine if your sociology teacher in college said this? There are some who do. I know. I've seen it. Can you imagine if your math teacher said these words? There would be a note coming home telling your family, if you do not build your life upon my Pythagorean theorem, your life will come to ruin. It would seem absurd. But if Jesus is who he says he is, then it's one of the kindest things that God can tell his creation. Here's how you know you will make it. It's if you build your life on me. In a way... <clears throat> These words are concerning for some, but for those of you who have been building a deep foundation in Christ, you find great comfort, don't you? And I think most of you in this room, if you're comforted by these words, you would say, my life has not been a cakewalk. It's been hard. It's been difficult. It's been not what I expected. But somehow, he sustained me. That's the story we tell. None of us are trophies, okay? We're examples of grace. That's what the scripture says. And an example of grace is one who goes, I am not a trophy. And God did all the work. And he rescued me. And he keeps rescuing me. And he will rescue me. 
we have been saved and are being saved. It is a beautiful comfort to those of you in this room who have spent a lifetime digging deep down so that Christ's foundation may be laid in your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says this, Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it. But whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Paul, in his letter to the Colossian church, says it this way, And now... Just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. If I can be as, about as specific as I can about what does it mean to build your life on Christ, I want to be. And as I've worked with teenagers for many, many years, I have tried to have a very simple philosophy. It is to bring students back to who they are in Christ. Their identity matters most because out of your identity, you will make every character trait and every choice in your life. You will. That's where it all comes from. And so if, if most student ministries were to actually be honest, they spend most of their time making students make good decisions. That's what we do. That's how youth ministry typically works because it keeps parents happy, it keeps friends happy, it keeps teachers happy, it keeps everyone happy. And so when kids are making bad decisions, the youth pastor hears about it. Hey, my kid's making bad decisions. Why haven't you fixed that? That's really those conversations have happened. So what we have seen in Scripture is that, firstly, Jesus goes after identity. And, and here's what I mean by building my identity on Christ. When I got done playing sports, there should be a counseling class for people who are walking away from an identity formed around sports. There should be a class that I get to sit in and go, okay, you still have worth even though you don't put a ball through a hoop. You still bring something to the table, even though you're not dribbling a basketball. You still have a lot to offer the world, even though you're not dunking a ball. And do you know that that's what we hear in the gospel? That is how you begin to build your life on Christ. It is knowing that I am not defined by what I do or what I have done, but by what Christ has accomplished. That is how you slowly begin to build a life that is one that will bring, A, strength to, to being able to stand up, to being able to fail at something and not being labeled a failure, to be able to walk even though you've made mistakes, to know that I'm not defined by those mistakes, but I'm defined by Christ if the scripture is true. See, in Christ, we find that we're justified, that there's no more condemnation, that I don't stand before God condemned because I put my trust in Christ. I stand justified, not because of how good Jason is or how great Jason is, but because of how great Jesus is. That's the gospel. That's the good news. I stand adopted. If the scripture is true, I have been adopted into a family because that's what he wanted to do before the foundations of the world and it gave him great pleasure to adopt me into his family. Secure. That even though things come crumbling down around, 
I am secure in the good news, that I'm free, that no longer do I have to serve God out of fear that somehow he's going to bring a bat down on me at eternity, but truly because I put my trust in Christ, I am free to just love God and to love the people that he has put me in place of and put me in, in, in the same place and journey with. I can do that freely without fear of condemnation ever again. The gospel also says that I'm not finished yet. So when I do screw up, and I do, when you screw up, and you will, to know that the gospel says, you're not done, but that God will be faithful to complete that which he started in your transformation and in my transformation. This is what it means to begin to build an identity on Christ. And the beautiful thing that starts to happen over time when we place our identity in Christ and go, no, Jesus, I, I, you know what? I want to hear what you have to say about my life, not what the rest of the world has to say. I want to believe that my worth does not come from what I look like, what I do, what I've accomplished, how I failed, how I've succeeded, because all that stuff comes and goes, folks. Jesus remains the same. And out of that identity, character begins to be developed. It's amazing how when we spend our time looking at our identity, that the character of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of that stuff starts showing up, and we're not forcing it. I can't sit in my car and go, all right, God, I'm going to be having more self-control today. I'm going to be more patient today. I can't set myself up for that because you know how that stuff develops? Trials. <laughs> and what do I do in trials? I question my identity. And what do I do? I run back to Jesus and therefore he begins to develop those character traits in me and I get to see that stuff develop and people start going, hey, you're not as much a jerk as you were. You used to be a real jerk. Why? How is that going down? What is that about? I don't, I don't know. It's Christ being formed in me. And then out of that beautiful picture of Christ taking us and forming us, we start to make decisions differently than we used to. I start to make decisions based on what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. See, the thing is, a, a pastor can stand up here and just say, hey, whatever you do, do it for God. But you have no idea why. You have no anchoring as to why it's worth giving your life to. You may have heard that and gone, you know what? He's going to hit me over the head with a baseball bat if I don't. God's coming at me hard. He's going to destroy me if I don't do everything for him. See, that's why we start with our identity. That's where we start. Because as he begins to take the time, and I know some of you wish this happened a lot faster than it does, but it, it doesn't. <laughs> I know that, that growth is promised and growth is eventual. That's all I know about scripture. That's all it says. <laughs> it doesn't tell me the time frame. It doesn't tell you the time frame. It just says that God's going to be faithful to complete what he starts. Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. My decisions and your decisions are no longer driven by feelings in the moment. Mob rule, popular opinion. Our decisions are based on all Christ has done, what he's doing, and ultimately what points to him as most glorious. As basic as I can be about building a life on Christ, it is knowing your identity is secure in him, 
It's allowing him to form the character that he says he will form in you. And it's beginning to make decisions not based on what brings me glory, but it's what points to him as most glorious. And friends, when you start putting those things into the mix, it's amazing how God starts shaping and transforming and shifting and making things new that you begin to go, a foundation is going down. And you know when you know a foundation has gone down? When trials hit. So you think some of us go, oh no, storm is coming. I better start digging now. See, there's a problem with that. The people I know who have weathered the storms and sung the song of God's faithfulness through the storm, they were digging and singing before the storm. See, often we use God as our magic genie or our rabbit's foot. He has no intention of being those things. He has every intention of being our rock. And so this morning as we close in worship, I'm asking you, Have you considered the foundation that you've built upon? Will it weather the storms of this life, or do you see yourself fleeing and running every time a storm comes? Has Jesus been in name only, Lord, Lord, or has he been the one you have said, I will hear and I will obey? How have you built the foundation that will settle you safely into eternity? You see, when... When everything gets wrapped up and God says this side of eternity is over and now I'm among my people, what will be revealed will not be all the things we've done, what the said, been able to accomplish, our failures. What will be revealed is the foundation that remains. And if your foundation cannot carry you safely into eternity, it is not worth building on. We were made as eternal beings. And if your foundation is but for this temporary life where you're worried about the cosmetic, you're worried about the paint colors, you're worried about the windows, you're worried about the canned lights, you're worried about the HDMI, you're worried about all of those things. And the truth is, none of those will be left. The foundation will. Jesus says in Luke 14, 27, continuing with this building theme, And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building couldn't afford to finish it. Have you counted the costs? Jesus says to. And when he says you've counted the cost, it moves beyond lip service. It moves beyond Lord, Lord. It moves to, Jesus, I hear you. And I can't obey in my own strength, so I'm going to have to trust you for that. But Lord, my, my desire is to obey your words because I know you have said That's how I know I will make it. Storms will come. Jesus said, when the waters rise, not if. (laughs) How do you know you'll make it? By hearing and obeying the words of Christ. This morning, we get to celebrate the foundation in Christ through communion. 
and through baptism. We have several who are being baptized this morning, making declarations of faith, saying that my life will be built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. But we also regularly take communion together. The bread and the juice, the body of Christ, the blood of Christ, the foundation in which our whole lives are built upon. This is a moment to remember that Christ has paid it all. This is a moment to say, I, I need to remember this because my identity has been found in so many things this week. I need to remember my identity is secure in what Christ has done. Success or fail this week, Jesus defines me. Jesus has saved me and he's made us whole. And so if that's your heart in this room this morning, go and take this meal when your heart is prepared. If you're still wrestling and questioning, like, I'm not sure, I don't know, you are free to just observe and watch. But I wanted you to know, we take this bread and this juice, not because it makes us more righteous, but because what Jesus has done, he has made us righteous. He has made us whole. He has made us new. And it is there that our faith and trust is placed. Father, we love you. And I do ask this morning that we would not just be Lord, Lord people, but that somehow your spirit would stir us to love you more, to want to do what you say because we know it brings us to life. We know it makes us whole. We, we know you alone are the one who can rescue. The things that we chase after, the things that we lust after, the things that we think will do such great things in our lives, you know will not. May your word be final over our lives. It's in your name we pray.